right everyone welcome to the rabbit show first off happy new year uh, we are already in 2023 and uh, can't believe it's uh, already my first show uh, for the year and uh, super excited because uh, it is with none other than kali taylor uh, she works at activision i'll uh, definitely uh, bring her on but uh, before doing that obviously i wanted to thank everyone for supporting the rabbit show in 2022 it was such a huge success and can't wait to see uh, how 2023 turns out and we have a you know many many of those interesting topics tools data and analytics that we'll be talking about so uh, don't hesitate but uh, today we'll be discussing a lot uh, of things with kali taylor we'll be discussing about how to break into data science uh, the data trends in 2023 gaming machine learning and much more so feel free to bring in your questions and uh, you know you can ask uh, anything around uh, uh, breaking into data science trends i'm super excited so without any further ado let's have kali here hey kali welcome to the rabbit show hey rabbit thank you so much for having me it's such a pleasure to have you here and uh, i was just letting the folks know about uh, what we'll be discussing today one is uh the biggest question which uh, we always get i'm sure about that which is how to break into data science and i'm sure you get it on a daily basis you've had like such an amazing background how you moved into data science uh uh so i'm sure folks are eager to learn more about it i'll uh, hand it over to you for and please introduce yourself please tell us about how you came into data science Absolutely. Yes, thank you so much for having me. And hey everyone, thanks for joining in today. I'm super excited to be here. Uh for those of you who don't know me or follow me, my name is Carly. Uh I started my LinkedIn journey about a year and a half ago. Um I was a chemist by trade before I moved into data science. So anyone in the comments who's trying to transition away from a different career, I see you. I'm here for you. <laughs> um but yeah, started my career in chemistry, decided to do the break into data science thing. Uh and now I work my dream job in gaming, which is like wow. something I never thought would happen. So I'm super super happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Okay, that's pretty cool. Uh do you also play games uh, a lot? I do. Yes. Um it was really funny when <laughs> I saw the job posted at Activision <laughs> to work on Call of Duty. I had actually been on a probably 3 month Warzone binge because mm -hmm. it was the middle of the pandemic and there was nothing else to do except play video games. And I was laughing with my friends saying, "Wouldn't it be funny if I got this job working on this game that we can't stop playing?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah and uh it's you know obviously kind of uh, you know you mentioned about you coming from chemistry and then uh you know obviously turning out to be a data scientist there are actually a few of uh, the folks who joining in award are uh, chemistry grads like one from youtube ken slayer hey ken slayer uh, <laughs> and, and uh, uh you know massimo yor is a chemist too so looks hey, like <laughs> uh looks like a lot of chemists are actually good with uh, i would say the data science bit so that's awesome uh but kali obviously the other big questions as we have entered in 2023 uh you know i would love to learn more about what are your first thoughts about the data science as a field and who and where do you first of all see it going 
Yes. So I think 2023 is going to be a super exciting year for data science. Um, the first thing that I'm seeing is a little bit more of a probably an organizational opportunity. Um, you know, I follow Ben Vashishta. If you follow him as well, he's amazing. Mm -hmm. He's talking recently about the rise of the data science leader. Um, and how tech organizations tend to not be the best at finding good leadership, right? If you're technically uh, able, you end up getting promoted through the ranks. And I think we're realizing that that's not a sustainable model, right? We need people who understand the technicalities, but are also good at leading people and good people managers. And so anyone in the, in the audience with those soft skills, keep them coming, right? I think that there yeah. is gonna be a future for you to flourish where you can use your leadership skills and marry that with your technical skills and have an awesome, awesome career. Um, I also have been talking a little bit to Ben Rogojan, uh, AKA the yeah. Seattle data guy, he's amazing. Um, he's been talking a lot recently about how roles will become even more specialized in data science. Exactly. So I think that that's extremely important for anyone who's looking to break into the field. Um, you know, the idea of having a super wide breadth of knowledge is not really sustainable anymore as the field continues to grow. And so really honing your skills more into a T-shape uh, where you can find your niche and your specialty and really drill down, I think is going to be even more important in 2023. Um, and finally, I'd say data storytelling. Um, you know, wow. we've seen the rise of the business analyst and the data analyst like making a comeback because I think some data scientists probably lack a little bit of that data storytelling ability. And I think mm. candidates who can not only understand their data, but tell a good story with their data and who are able to communicate are going to be killing it in 2023. Oh, yes. I think those are definitely great points there, you know, talking about data storytelling, talk about, you know, uh, more roles being specialized. There would be certain roles which would come up in, uh, you know, the field would grow massively yes. in 2023. So for sure, I'm uh, kind of, uh, it resonates very well. We have a lot of questions coming here, uh, to be honest, Kali. I have some important questions from Kate. <laughs> and uh, let's take this one from Kate Spashny. Hey, Kate, nice to see you here. So Kate has a question, can you recommend any resources or strategies for networking and building a professional network in the data science industry? Very interesting. Yeah, that's a great, great question, Kate. I think that in your question is actually a great piece of advice, which is to break into data science, you need to be networking and building networking. that professional network. I think that that's just like so, so, so critical. Um, you know, we're coming to you on YouTube and on LinkedIn. I think that there yeah. are so many opportunities now for people to put themselves out there and to try to build a network. And the first step is just doing it. Honestly, I don't even have like a crazy strategy. I think it's just getting yourself out there, getting over that imposter syndrome, making that piece of content, writing that post you've been thinking about, reaching out to that person that you admire and just drop them a note that you love what they're doing. And like taking that first step is always the hardest because it feels awkward. But once you do it, I promise, I know from experience, it gets a lot, lot easier. Exactly. It's like an icebreaker that you need to, you know, obviously uh, get into. And uh, I I agree totally, you know, networking and, uh, you know, building that network kind of is very important when you are in this field because there's so much that you could explore you yes. can learn from people and the experiences that they have. And then there's there are so many creators out there where, who are actually 
uh, you yourself, uh, Carly, you are sharing about your experiences, what you faced earlier in your career, even talking about the salary transfer, yeah. you know, transparency, you've been out there, you know, head to head, you've been like, yeah, let's be transparent about it. And you've been, you know, uh, an inspiration for a lot of people out there who, who have been doing that. So oh, good stuff there. Um, <laughs> uh, let's let's go on to uh, another interesting question. So uh, we have a lot of questions. Mike is here. Mike Nash has joined us. So uh, nice to see you, Mike. Uh, uh, given potential slowdown in the economy and possible reduction of themes, how can someone address this when breaking in data science? Very interesting. That's a super interesting question. Um, there's no like kind way to put this for junior mm -hmm. data scientists and for people breaking into the industry, it's not getting any easier in the next year. Um, like you said, the economy is going to be slowing down. Teams are going to be probably downsizing. Mm -hmm. um, I will say that I do see some opportunities for things to learn in the new year. Uh, one big thing that sticks out to me is uh, systems design and operational efficiency, right? Like as the economy slows down, companies have to be really wise about how they're spending their money and how, if they're making the most of what they have, right? We've seen just recently with Southwest, right? Bad systems design can bring your entire company down. So if there's anywhere that companies I think are going to be investing in, it's going to be that area. So if I were trying to break into data science right now, I would probably tailor my resume with um, items about how I helped with operational efficiency. I helped someone save money. Uh, any insights that you can derive that are going to help a company be more efficient and make the most of the limited dollars that they want to spend, I think is going to yes. be a good way to kind of sell yourself as someone who's mindful that, you know, it's not like cash isn't growing on trees anymore like it used to. Yeah, exactly. You know, I think uh, that's like a great tip uh, for sure, Carly, you know, where you, where we know in 2023 uh, and even in 2020, late 2022, we realized that companies now want to be tied on the budget. They want to make sure that they have like the best resources and not only yes. that they want to make sure that uh, they are utilizing the skills in a way which will help them grow and just get the get out of the economic downturn mm -hmm. so all all kind of makes sense just one follow-up question that i had uh, from mike's question was recently i actually read uh, an article from if i'm not wrong uh, from a, scho a stanford scholar uh, jeffrey a professor jeffrey and he mentioned about you know this is uh, this could be a copycat behavior as well from companies. Uh, and it could be a very controversial topic altogether where, uh, you know, uh, there are a lot of companies who mention about, you know, this is about the overhiring that has that, that, that was done during the pandemic, but now mm -hmm. things are, you know, kind of correcting. And that's one of the reasons. But do you also think this could be a good copycat behavior or a good chance for a lot of companies to also just correct on the valuation bait and, you know, all the other things as well? I would say yes. You know, from what we've seen in the stock market, I would say that companies mm -hmm. are being rewarded for showing that they're willing to tighten their belts, right? Like it, it there doesn't have to be necessarily an issue but CEOs are signaling that, you know, they're willing to make labor force reductions. They're willing to pull back on some of their lofty ambitions for 2023. And I think if the market with the stock price is going to reward that behavior, you're going to see more of it, 
right? Um, you're just going to see more people kind of positioning themselves as being fiscally responsible, not building the big team that they maybe wanted to, maybe lowering their headcount um, aspirations for the year in order to make their investors happy. So I definitely think that there's some sort of cycle there that's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy that, you know, the behavior mm -hmm. that gets rewarded is the behavior that people do. <laughs> that's very true. I think I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, that's so true. And uh, for those, actually, uh, because I was just reading that article and I have it bookmarked, I've actually shared the link of the article. Oh, awesome. Well. So uh, folks can Super actually helpful. go and learn more about it and see what I was actually talking about. But uh, coming back, obviously, uh, talking about uh, breaking into data science and, you know, just getting started in, in that region, uh, we have another question here from Jennifer. Uh, very interesting question. Uh, what type of data project should someone work on portfolio-wise with the intent to move into the gaming industry in order to stand out from other candidates who have prior industry experience and know better than you, Kavi? <laughs> so I'm, I'm kind of curious as well. Thanks, Jennifer, for putting that out. Yeah, thank you, Jennifer. That's an amazing question. So I will say that the gaming industry is really not that different from other like big tech companies in the problems that they face, right? Like there is a user acquisition funnel. There are problems with churn. Um, and so I guess I'll hit on some areas of data science that I see used in gaming. And then you can make the idea of if you want to do a, a project in your portfolio kind of tailored to that, this is what I would see. Um, so first and foremost, you know, an area that's kind of been in vogue for a while, might be pulling back a little bit, um, mm. but is still interesting to people is definitely deep learning. Uh, mm. I do see an opportunity in gaming to use deep learning to build diffusion models to help with content generation, right? Anything right. you see that needs to be created for a player, any sort of art, um, you know, there is definitely an area to help with that or in-game AI, right? Like bots that play the game. Um, definitely something you can help with. And that leads me into the idea of reinforcement learning as well. I think there's a huge opportunity um, for reinforcement learning. It's already been used heavily, you know, to play games like Dota and StarCraft. But I do think that uh, all games can benefit from having, you know, someone at the company who's an RL expert who understands, you know, maybe you want to do some playability on a test map, right? And you want to build some bots that are going to run through it. A lot of problems that would take a lot of people and a lot of man hours to solve can be done with some clever data science solution. Um, and finally, I'll talk about recommendation systems. So I definitely see an opportunity here for people who are very deep into recommendation systems. Anything you see being recommended to you as a player, um, anywhere within the touch point of a game or online is an area for opportunity and growth. So I would say to anyone who maybe doesn't, isn't interested in those three fields, when you're playing a game, think about how you would use the data that the game is getting from you if you could do any project you wanted. Um, and then I would hop on Kaggle, see what data sets are available. I'm pretty sure there's a PUBG data set already available you can play with if you want to play with game data. And then start building your projects. You'd be surprised at the kind of creative things you can come up with once you have your hands on the mm -hmm. data and you just start looking at it. You might really, really surprise yourself with some fun stuff you come up with. And then on your resume, you'll have a project with real game data that you can talk about. 
Okay, these are uh, pretty interesting insights. Thanks, uh, Kali, for putting that through. And uh, Jennifer, very nice question. It brings up a lot of topics. And um, we have a comment here as well. Adam says, uh, except with gaming, it's still uh, all NIH, uh, which is not invented here, unless you are hired to program. So yeah, that's, uh, that's there. Um, moving on, I have a question for you in terms of, you know, this the skills in the knowledge areas uh, you know what's your take on that what what do you see the most important skills and knowledge uh, areas for a data scientist there Kavi? um so let's talk just like technical skills my first yes. and foremost everything i always harp on and say to learn because i think it's the easiest but i think it's the most powerful is sql cool. Um, it's not going anywhere anytime soon, folks. So if you find yourself hating it, time to change your opinion and start to love it. I used to be really annoyed with SQL when I first started my career. I, I thought it was kind of a cumbersome language. I've learned to love SQL. It might be a little bit of Stockholm syndrome, but I think it's extremely powerful when you learn how to use it the right way. Uh, mm -hmm. So definitely, number one, start with SQL. Number two, I think Python is still king. Um, I know R as well, but I think if you want to be a super generalizable data scientist, I would stick to Python. Um, and you can even start there, right? Like the number of free online courses and resources available to learn SQL and Python are like crazy. Like you can just start right. today. If this is your New Year's resolution, like start writing a little bit of SQL. Like, I think it will get you really, really far. Um, and then I definitely say, you know, to be a good data scientist and to be a competitive data scientist, statistics is one of those skills you just can't overlook. Um, wow. You know, it might, it might not be your favorite thing. You know, I actually found statistics to be a lot harder when I was in taking math classes than like calculus. I don't know why my brain didn't want to work that way. So it's something mm -hmm. you have to train and it's something you have to work at. But I think once you get it, it's worth it because so much data science behind the scenes is just applied right. statistics, right? And when you understand that, you can do almost anything. Um, and then finally, this is not a technical skill, but communication. Mm. Please, please, please. We're talking about the importance of data storytelling being an effective communicator, being an effective communicator to non-technical people will get you so far in this industry. It will help you in interviews. It will help you when you're trying to get buy-in for your projects at work. It will help you wherever you're at. So if you don't feel comfortable communicating or you feel like you're a little bit shy, that's okay. It just takes practice, but you have to force yourself to practice because it's going to be such a big help. Okay. I think uh, these are uh, definitely great uh, skills in, uh, you know, the knowledge that you would need to, at least the most important skills. And I, I couldn't agree more on the uh, data statistics, uh, you know, this, uh, learn more and more statistics uh, out there. It will definitely help you. Yes. All right. Uh, I have a few questions. I'm, you know, there's, there's like a flood of questions out there. <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah, so I'm just trying to pick the uh, ones very quickly. You're from YouTube, Lager. Uh, data analytics industry is rapidly growing. Is computer power in smaller firms growing uh, with the industry? In particular, data analytics companies primarily use real-time social data in real-time. So large amounts of data. What do you think, uh, Harley? 
So I can't speak for every company, obviously, mm. I can only speak for the places that I've worked at. Um, but I will say that one of the skills I thought about including that I bumped for communication because I think it's more important. Um, but it, this brings up another good skill is knowing some cloud infrastructure and knowing how to harness cloud computing. Um, I have seen almost every industry switch, even if they were doing some things locally to working with, you know, just working with cloud providers and doing things on cloud. Um, for a data scientist, I think that this is one of these skills that you just can't fake and you just can't get it anywhere else. You're going to have to do like the AWS certifications if you can't get, you know, the opportunity to learn on the job, but it's going to be so worth it. Um, because now that companies are moving, you know, to having a lot of redundancy, they're putting their data in the cloud, when they're already paying those fees, the storage fees, they're already paying to have, you know, their, their servers available on the cloud so that they're always online. Um, it, it just makes sense to also have the data scientists doing their, their compute on the cloud. Very rarely do I ever see a data science posting anymore that's going to be kind of like, do this locally on your own on your own machine and Jupyter Notebooks, right? It's all going to be distributed. I think that that's the future of the industry, regardless of the company size. And so I do see, even if you're not working with that real-time data, the shift is just going to be to move towards that anyway, so that they're ready if their data volume ever changes. And so it's not going to hurt to learn it, right? Yeah. I, I definitely uh, say that that's the way how we do it. And uh, yeah. we, we, we do have uh, another... You know, first of all, uh, because you mentioned about communications, there are so many people who agree that communication scale is so important. Uh, so keep that uh, in mind as well. But uh, and uh, Sandy, you also mentioned about Toastmakers. Toastmasters is great to communication skills. Yeah. Yeah, that's so, a really good point, Sandy. Yeah. So and uh, another one here, Anthony. Uh, okay. Uh, so Anthony says, I imagine creating study guides and understanding pros and cons of each statistical technique is necessary for interview prep. I did also think uh, uh, being able to break down complex processes to layman's terms is also measured during the interview as is speaking the language of business stakeholders. What else should we be mindful of as we prepare for the interviews? Any other tips, Carly? Well, I mean, Anthony just hit them all, I think, almost. <laughs> and that also gave me flashbacks to making right. flashcards to try to, like, memorize. Oh, gosh, I'm glad those days are over. <sighs> but, yes, I do think that those are super key, Anthony. Thank you for bringing them up. In terms of other things to prepare for the interview, I'd say that, you know, interviewing is one of those skills that you just get better at the more you do it. And so being calm and comfortable and authentically yourself is gonna be really hard when it's your first interview and you're really nervous, but working on that, working on feeling comfortable in your skin, um, you know, for a technical interview, there's nothing wrong with saying, I don't know. You know, I would rather have a candidate say, I'm not sure, but this is how I would figure it out than make right. something up. Um, and I think that comes also with being comfortable with yourself, with your technical knowledge, not feeling like you have to know everything all the time. Um, but I do see also that interviews are going to need to shift a little bit, because if we're talking about the future of data science as being more of a T-shape, 
where people have their specialties. I don't think this general, you know, tell me about this reinforcement learning algorithm, but also tell me about this like obscure unsupervised learning technique is going to be like the best way to assess a, you know, a, a potential employee skills, because who knows all of that stuff? You can't know everything. Um, and so I do think that interviewing is going to have to shift along with the industry and right. we'll see how quickly that happens. <laughs> wow. That's, uh, so true. And, uh, you know, I've been often asked as well that, uh, in an interview, should I be, you know, actually, if there are so many questions, data science as a field itself, they could be like, uh, the use cases that might, they might have turned into, you know, the interview prep questions and made case studies out of it in, uh, you know, just, just the questions could be very interesting. And that's when uh, I'm like, why do you have to know everything? Like, yeah. uh, it's not expected. You have your own oh. skill sets and mm -hmm. uh, you will get in the direction to solve a problem for uh, various projects. If yes. you can work on those projects and, you know, apply your skills there, I think that makes sense. If you go over and above, it could be a little dicey when you're in an interview. <laughs> so, it's nothing better than being very straightforward about, you know, you don't know. Or maybe this is how you feel about it. So yeah. I feel, uh, you know, that's very interesting point there. Uh, okay, we have a very uh, cool and interesting question here from Christine and she joined from Facebook. So very interesting, Christine Kerr. Thanks, uh, Christine. Uh, so she's asking when you're playing against the computer, how do they program the computer to play currently? Oh, this is such an interesting question. Um, it makes me think of chess, right? Like mm. how do you play chess against a computer and how do they gauge the skill? skill of the computer when you're playing. And I honestly like don't know the answer to this. Um, <laughs> there are a lot of interesting skill methodologies for how you determine the skill of an AI, right? Like mm -hmm. its abilities. Um, and so I would definitely redirect you <laughs> to the internet to figure out what some different ones are, like true skill, the way that, um, you know, Given any move, like on a chessboard, you would, I guess, choose like what would be the ideal move that would end the game most mm. quickly. And then how close was that person to getting the ideal move? Because I guess at some point chess is kind of a solved game, right? Like a computer could just almost always win unless it's like a grandmaster playing against it. So there's ways to dumb it down so that it doesn't always choose the optimal path. But what does that look like in terms of skill is a super interesting question that I don't think is like that I'm at least not prepared to fully answer because I don't understand it yeah. enough. Um, but yes, I do actually work with someone who I won't call out because I'm not sure if they want the notoriety mm. who is an expert in skill algorithms and actually wow. like determining based on your opponent's skill and your outcome in facing that person where you should rank that person's skill level, right? And it's all oh, based wow. on interactions between people and where right. you think that they're gonna perform and then how they actually perform. And it's very fascinating. Okay, this is very cool. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I'm sure that's like a game changer algorithm out there. So 
thanks for thanks for at least letting us know about something like that. So uh, it's very cool of you. Uh, we have another question here from Mike Nash. Very interesting one. Given the rise of low code, no code systems, how do you think this will affect the data science industry roles in the future? Yeah, that's a super great question. And it actually makes me think of something I was reading that Kristen had said on LinkedIn, um, which is that for 2023, she sees that low code, no code solutions are going to get, you know, even more popular. Um, Mm. I think, and I agree with her proposition that it doesn't threaten the data scientist's job. And I don't think it threatens the field of data science. If anything, I see low code and no code solutions as something that will unblock data scientists from the more routine parts of their work, right? Like, do you need to be like having to hand code like a train test split and kind of like all the other stuff that you end up using the same boilerplate code over and over to achieve? And if you Mm -hmm. didn't have to do some of those more routine parts of your job, how much more effective could you be? And what do you think you could be doing instead? Like what parts of the problem could you be solving that a computer still isn't capable of doing on its own, right? Like we've seen a lot of low code, no code solutions and they work really well to like maybe get the data into a place where it's usable or even build a good model with good hyperparameter tuning, um, but still the interpretability of the results, how to apply it to the actual business problem at hand, how to get buy-in from stakeholders and explain what you think is going on and contextualize the data and contextualize the output hasn't been automated. So the data scientists who really like thrive in that realm, who are good storytellers, right? Who are good at that part of their job. I think we'll find that these low code solutions are just gonna unblock the boring parts of their job and let them do the cool stuff even faster. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, those are great insights. Thanks for sharing, Kali. And uh, good question, Mike. I'm just looking at so many questions here, just <laughs> trying to figure out which one. Uh, a, a good comment here by Jennifer. Uh, Elden Ring's uh, AI is more forgiven than the older Dark Souls games. So, man, if it is still, doesn't take me for a while. <laughs> that's, so that's very so cool. Fun. All right, uh, let's uh, jump on to uh, another uh, quick question here. In terms of you know, obviously, we were talking about. Uh, the uh, 2023 and the trends, uh, but just to you know uh, bring it forward in terms of the prediction, like what what are your predictions, Kali, in terms of three predictions that you could give out uh, in the data category that would be like super hot. I know it's very difficult. There are so many things. There's so much uh, data consumption and so much content consumption that we do every day, and then we kind of get confused ourselves. But would love to hear your thoughts there. Yeah, that's a super good question. Okay, let me think. Um, So the first thing that comes to mind is generative AI. So, you know, we've seen the rise of these large language models, these foundation models like chat GPT. I think that honestly, if anything that happened in 2022, like that has the potential to completely transform the way that people work and not just in data science, I think like everywhere. Like I think that we're living through a time where people are going to look back and be like, holy crap, that changed everything. Um, 
And so I see that, you know, the future for these big diffusion models, the future for these large language models is pretty much like unbounded. And it's just mm -hmm. the way that we leverage them and use them and the way that, you know, they're actually unleashed on the public is going to change like the future of how we work. Um, so we also kind of touched on this at the beginning because I was talking about Vin, who's someone I, I really admire. And I think that yep. data strategy is going to be um a data category that's going to be super hot because we've had so many years of kind of um, unrestricted growth for data yeah. careers, for data organizations that, you know, the, the money flow let us get away with being a little bit less strategic. So now that we look to a future where people are kind of tightening their belts, I think that data strategy is going to be even more important, trying to figure out how do you make your teams the most efficient? How do you make your systems the most efficient, right? All of this mm -hmm. coming under a strategic banner of maybe the rise of the data strategy leader, right? Um, I think it's going to be really cool. And yeah. then... Finally, probably because of the people I follow and who I admire so much, like Zach Wilson and, and Ben, um, Seattle data guy, I'd say data engineering is still mm. super hot. You know, I don't think it's going anywhere. I think that 2022 saw data engineering just kind of like continuing to make a splash. I see so many of my friends call themselves like reformed data scientists. Now they're exactly. data engineers. And I think that's going to keep <laughs> happening as people realize that what they love about data science tends to be more on the engineering side. And I think this ties really well with the idea of the data strategy, because without a good data engineering pipeline, without a really, really tight uh, architecture, I don't think that you're going to have, you know, the kind of operational efficiency maybe that companies want. Okay. Yeah. I think these are pretty uh, straightforward three uh, great uh, data categories that could be super hot. I'm keeping it on record, generative AI, data strategy, and uh, data engineering. And I couldn't agree more with all three because those were on my mind as well. Like not just these three, but there are a few more, which uh, I'll keep it for. Which ones will you add? <laughs> just give us one, give us one. <laughs> oh, um, okay, so if if I have to, you know, pick one, uh, to be honest in uh, not being biased at all, but uh, I work, I've worked with a lot of data observability companies out there. Oh, that's a good one. It's, it's something which is picking rapidly. I know for a fact where data engineers want to, also get closer to data observability where they can get those notifications where they can you know easily build yes. those pipelines uh, very quickly and understand and not sit on data for hours and hours but it also yes. focuses a lot on data reliability data quality so i feel that that's gonna pick up uh, really well it will be uh, another hot topic uh, and uh, I can give one more out of excitement, which is okay. <laughs> uh, the data contracts and chats, and it's involved oh. a lot around that as well. So that's these are two I feel could be uh, definitely picking up. But I like your data predictions, generative AI, definitely chat GPT. We've seen so much craze around it. The, uh, the internet is all around chat GPT. I've tried it myself, uh, played so much. I do it every day. I try to ask some <laughs> funny questions. So uh, either, so I, you know, I can make fun of it, but uh, it still, you know, is so powerful. That's what is my experience at yeah. least. Um, and uh, can't wait to see. But do you play around with chat GPT? And if yes, uh, what do you ask? 
<laughs> I actually was just joking with my friends yesterday. I was like, chat GPT is my therapist. <laughs> <laughs> it's free. Um, yeah. It's so fun. Um, no, I've actually been playing around asking it for like, I love seeing people talk about like finding LinkedIn hooks. So I haven't used it to write anything yet, but I do like asking it, you know, like, how would you uh, intro this kind of paper or how would you write an interesting hook for this kind of post? And mm. it's fascinating to me that like the the way that it uses language that is not cumbersome or awkward like so many other generative kind of like language models can be to me it's exactly. it's very incredible how it can almost read like a well-trained journalist like it's 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 exactly. fascinating way true i i one example that i actually also saw was around a doctor and i don't know if you've already read like i'm sure many of those who are on the call right now they must have read this uh, in an article where it's a senior doctor who, I, I don't want to name the doctor but he goes out and you know obviously types in about something which is very complex about uh -huh. a patient and he got an answer out there which was exactly something what he does or what he consults and he was shocked with that because uh, with at least uh, an experience of 20 years, 25 years, Chad GPT actually went out and, you know, gave him the answers wow. he had after 25 years. So it could be that powerful as well. So I, I think it's in the growth phase. It will definitely have a lot of iterations. It will also have a lot of commercialization, which will kind of take yes. place. Uh, but uh, it's exciting space. At least let's enjoy until it's free and then we'll see how it kind of goes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it won't be free awesome. <laughs> Yeah, so true. So, okay. So we spoke about obviously the trends, the predictions. You you mentioned about, you know, a lot of things around the, uh, you know, the as a data scientist, what skills do you need to have? Uh, I wanted to also touch, uh, you know, a little uh, on the job front and the job opportunities. So what would be some of your, you know, some some tips that you would like to share about finding job opportunities and standing out as a candidate in the data science field? Because I think in this, uh, you know, at least in this space right now where we are, in terms of the economic downturn, it could be very interesting for a lot of uh, folks as well. So I totally agree. Um, I think that, you know, we've talked about one, that like finding opportunities, the best way to do this, I think is networking. I can't overstate how important it is to build up a good network of people around you. Even if it's just other people trying to break into data science, right? You're going through it together. But once you have this solid network of people, as you all go in your careers and you get you know higher up, you'll be able to help each other more, right? And I think finding a network of people that you trust, building up a network of people, it's hard and awkward, but it really, really, really pays off. Um, and always giving back to that network when you can, right? When you're early yeah, in your yeah. career, you'll feel like you're taking a lot because you, you don't have a lot to give. And so it's important as you move up to start giving us, excuse me, start giving back and yeah. start making sure that, you know, you're helping other people. You're not pulling up the ladder behind you, so to speak, right? Um, 
I would say that uh, for finding jobs, you know, I, I sound like a shill, but I love LinkedIn jobs. I think that it's extremely powerful. I like it more than like Indeed or other platforms. I think that it has good insights. It makes applying really easy. And so I would say definitely stick on there. Find out, you know, when you see a job get posted that looks interesting to you, apply quickly. You don't want to be, you know, one of a thousand applicants after a month. You want to find it in the first day. And so I always exactly. set my search parameters to the, you know, jobs posted in the last 24 hours and just refresh. You can also set up notifications for when a new job pops up with your search parameters. That's super powerful. I would say definitely do that if you're actively searching. Um, and finally, uh, I guess for standing out as a candidate, this is kind of an, an out of left field thing, but mm -hmm. I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, this psychology phenomenon called mirroring. And what it is, is that, you know, we as human beings are meant to be social, right? And we have a tendency to mirror other people who we admire or mirror other people when we're talking to them. And what's interesting about mirroring is that it seems to be a way for people to adapt to be accepted by the group because as you are mirrored, you have a tendency to like a person who's mirroring you more, right? right. And so knowing this, what I would say to stand out as a job seeker is look at the language of the job posting and mirror that in your resume. So if you're mm -hmm. applying somewhere like Spotify, that's really fun. If you read their job postings, they're quirky and they use a lot of fun language. They want you to know the culture of working there is gonna be exciting and, and probably a little less stuffy than like a bank. Um, mirror that in your resume. Use some of their language back at them. You might find that the person that wrote the job posting when they start to see themselves reflected in the way you talk about yourself, they might have a little bit more of an affinity for you as long as you're being still authentic to yourself. But I'd say that that's a tip for me that I, has actually worked really well. Okay. These are uh, fantastic tips. Definitely. I think uh, you mentioned about, you know, just mirroring your CV into something which is like the job description. It's yeah. totally, I, I totally hear you because that's like your breaking point into at least getting the first step getting yes. started or getting seen by the recruiter yes that, okay this is the language this is the person like if i take an example where uh, as a community evangelist if i go out there if i'm not outspoken if i don't go uh -huh. to stuff, so if i don't go to various other places uh and if i'm not mentioning making it that cool in my cv uh -huh. I think uh, it wouldn't match to something which is a role around community manager so I think uh, definitely these these are uh, important points out there. Uh, so thanks for that, Carly. Uh, other thing, um, you know, we have a few comments here. Uh, one is here from Suzanne. She's like, just read the job description first. <laughs> sure <of> it. <laughs> so thanks for that, Suzanne. And then we have one comment here from YouTube uh, from Karen. Hi, very interesting conversation about this question. I think having a good network helps. But yeah, yes, but also showing what you're capable to do, definitely, because you in the end, obviously, you also need those skills to you yes. know, get the ball rolling. So all good there. Um, in terms of, uh, let me quickly check more questions here. All right. So I don't miss out on questions. Uh, I know we are almost time, but I just uh, I'm kind of enjoying this, Carly, and uh, we have so many questions and you have such amazing insights. So. Yeah, let's being, keep it going. Uh, yeah, and just just want to pick one comment here again from Sandy is like just be careful. I used I used to trust LinkedIn, but recently 
had a scam job offer to a job I applied to via LinkedIn, received contract from email address of hiring manager that was on LinkedIn. Oh my God. That's, yeah, that's yeah. scary. Um, I yeah. would say to Sandy, that's a really, really great point. I think that LinkedIn is super powerful, but you also need to cross-reference that the job exists on the career website that you're applying for. So if it seems too good to be true, or it seems a little suspicious, go straight to the actual career website for the company. If you can't find anything, odds are it's someone impersonating someone. Um, I've definitely seen a rise in this recently as well. And it's really, really unfortunate. So you got to just be smart, do your due diligence. Yeah. yeah, it's unfortunate. Exactly. Thanks for bringing that up. Uh, uh, all right. One, one very important question here from Kate is, uh, let's take this one. Kate is asking if you were stranded on a desert island and could only bring the three data science tools with you, which ones would you choose and why? Very interesting question. <laughs> Does it have to be a technology? Because I think I'd have to bring at least my mechanical keyboard or one of them. <laughs> I would rather die on a desert island than use my MacBook Monarch keyboard or whatever it's called. It's the worst. I hate it. Um, right. for the tools. Okay. So this is a really, really good question, Kate. Um, let me think. Oh gosh. So I, number one, I still really love Plotly. I know it's like not free anymore or you can kind of get it free, but not really. But I think it's so, so powerful for building visualizations as we talk about mm. data storytelling, right? Like it doesn't have to be Plotly, but find a visualization tool that you love, that you feel like you can harness the power of as a data scientist, because you're going to need it. You can't just stop at building tables and have that be the end. Right. You need to be able to build compelling visualizations that are beautiful. I actually have, no, not in here. Uh, Storytelling mm -hmm. with Data is an amazing book. It's really, really good. Um, I would highly recommend that as well. Um, yeah. I also really like tools to help with explainable uh, machine learning. And so I'm thinking of uh, like packages like SHAP Shapley values help you really dig into finding like the output of your model and like what it's telling you and why and like directionally it helps you uh, figure out really like with your predictor what does each of your features look like um, and I think that's super powerful too. So maybe Plotly, Shapley, and my mechanical keyboard and I think I'd be okay. <laughs> That's very cool. And uh, it's not you just in the party, but also we have Christine. She has uh, a mechanical keyboard out there. Uh, we see Monica. She has a mechanical keyboard and she's hooked as well. So cool. Uh, uh, another follow-up question could be actually what Kate mentioned. What three people would you bring? Uh, okay, but that, okay, I'll just uh, add something more to the question. If you have to actually uh, suggest three of the data leaders or creators or any of those folks, who would these three people be? It How do be I pick Twitter. my favorites? <laughs> it's like picking your favorite kids. <laughs> you don't want to do it. Um, okay, so I'd definitely say number one is Zach Wilson. I'd have to bring Zach. I love Zach. You know, he helped me a lot. He was my mentor coming up wow. on LinkedIn. 
um, and helped me really, like, I think, get to where I'm at today. And so, you know, he's always great for conversation. So many good insights, just a great person in general. So I'd say Zach for sure. Um, I'd also have to say Vin because I find myself repeating his advice so much that I just should be like a Vin spokesperson. Like I talk about things that he's told me so much because he is like the epitome of a strategic data leader. He's amazing. Um, And then I think you for sure, because we have fun and you're awesome. We have fun. Like you have great insights and you've built up such a good community on LinkedIn. I think just with like your personality and you're real and you're authentic. And that's what I like in the people around me is when they're real and authentic. Oh, wow. Thank you very much. <laughs> but, uh, definitely. I agree on Zach in uh, Win for sure. I've spoken to Win so much. He's fantastic. He writes so much. I'm on his Substack everywhere. Uh, people yes. need to, you know, learn more about him, what he does. And his Substack is he, great. He's fun, yeah. Yeah. Um, so definitely great. And uh, one person I do, you know, always uh, uh, mention about is Kate. She's in oh, the, Kate. you know, Kate I love Kate. She's, 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 she's an inspiration for being authentic at least. She is, so, she is. So and an inspiration for women in the field. She's so good. Yeah, She's exactly. so good. Awesome. But that's uh, amazing. All right. I know we are almost close to time, but one last comment here. And this is from Jennifer. Late to the GPT chat. Oh. But so far, super helpful to refine my resume for an industry change. Wow. Oh, I love that. That's awesome, Jennifer. Yeah. This is another one, you know, uh, very interesting how people have, you know, also utilized chat GPT for something which is very unique uh and at the same time if you you know if someone wants to learn about different uh say top uh tools or anything i think chat gpt is the place yes. where you can get the list all of those things you can start with you can get the most basic thing and uh <laughs> do amazing stuff there so uh that's there uh uh all right uh i know carly uh this is Super short. I can't wait to obviously, you know, do another part with you on the Rabbit Show. It could be around different topics, uh, but you have shared amazing insights around data science trends, around how to get into, how to break into this field, how to, you know, in this economic downturn, how to just stand out. You've shared amazing insights. Thank you very much once again. One last question before we wrap this up is about if people have more questions and I, ha- I couldn't take all the questions, but I'm sure people want to reach out to you yes. and ask questions. So which is the best place you they can follow your content? Uh, they can also learn about you. And I guess you also started with your Instagram. So I would also want to learn more about yes. it. Announcement. So uh, <laughs> can you just give us uh, all the, all these places where people can follow, ask you questions. If you have a, newsletter people can follow to and I'm sure the new Instagram. Absolutely. Yes. So find me on LinkedIn, first and foremost, Carly Taylor. Uh, I am 0017, I think is the URL, but you'll see me. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> How many Carly Taylors can there possibly be? I guess there's a lot of us. Um, yes. Yeah, so LinkedIn is the best place to follow me for now. It's where I will be announcing uh, my Instagram. So you can go follow me over there. The Instagram is going to be really exciting. I'm trying to branch out into other forms of content. I've really been kind nice. of text heavy because that's the way I like to write. 
Um, but I'm trying to get into more like videos and shorter form content so I can interact with people more. And so I can reach mm -hmm. more people and have more conversations. So I will be announcing the Instagram soon on my LinkedIn. I'm really excited wow. for that. Uh, you can also find me at rebeldatascience.com. Uh, and that's where you can get in touch with me. You can book one-on-one -on -one meetings with me. You can send me emails, awesome. really anything that you need. I'm here to help. Uh, and this was so great. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Thank you very much, uh, Carly, for uh, being the first guest of 2023 on The Rabbit Show. And yes. thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Uh, this was pretty interesting. Great questions. And thanks again for all the support. And this was a blast. Thank you. Yay. Thanks, everyone.